We turn to Matthew's account of Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, and we read verses 1 through 11 in Jesus' name. Matthew 21, beginning at the first verse. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey there, a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the colt, on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. For this time of worship, this time when we can focus on that great event of Palm Sunday. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to that city that day and you were willing to suffer on the cross for us. You died and rose again that we might have that hope of everlasting life. O Lord, speak to us today through your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who is this? That was an obvious question to be asked that day because on this Palm Sunday there were crowds of people that were coming out to meet Jesus and there was a crowd that was following him into Jerusalem. And we are told that the city was stirred. They're wondering, what is this that is, that is going on? A very obvious question to, to, to be asked. But it was also a very important question. Who is this? Who is this one that is riding on the donkey? Why is he here? Why did he come? Who is this Jesus? Jesus welcomed such a question because he was the one that asked his disciples a very similar question in in chapter 16 of, of Matthew. Verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? So who is this Jesus? Who do you say that he is? I don't think there's a more important question that we could ask today as to who is Jesus? Who is He to you? Who do you say that He is? The answer that the crowds gave to that question is found in verse 11. And the crowds were saying, This 
is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So this morning we look at the ministry of Jesus from that perspective. This isn't all that he is. He is certainly more than a prophet or the prophet. But he certainly is the prophet who is above every other prophet. And we would be wise to listen to what Jesus has to say to us today. Who is this? Notice, first of all, that Jesus is the prophet whose word can be trusted. I find it interesting, when the time came for Jesus to enter Jerusalem, He sends two of His disciples ahead of Him to prepare the way. And He gives them some instruction. In verse 2, He says, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to Me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately He will send them. Now that was very detailed instruction, wasn't it? He tells the disciples what they will find when they enter the village. He tells them when they will find it. He tells them what to say to those who ask what they are doing. He tells them how the one asking the question will respond. Very detailed instruction. And it happened exactly as he said it would. Verse 6 says the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And Luke adds this in his account. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Just as Jesus had told them. So Jesus told them in advance, in very great detail, exactly what was going to happen. Now, some liberal scholars have a problem with this passage because they don't want to acknowledge that Jesus had foreknowledge of that which was going to happen. So instead of saying that Jesus knew what was going to happen when the disciples entered the village, they claim that Jesus must have arranged this beforehand. Because how would he know exactly what was going to happen unless he had prearranged this beforehand? Talk to someone and said, I'm going to send these men. And you give them this, this colt that I'm going to ride on. In other words, there is no reason to believe that there is anything supernatural here at all. Well, I believe these so-called scholars, and I hope you do too, believe that they are clearly mistaken. Jesus knew what His disciples would find because He knows all things. And He told them in advance what they would find because... I believe He wanted to teach them something important. He wanted them to know that His Word can be trusted. That what He said would happen. It would be exactly as He told them, and that's exactly what they discovered. You see, it was important for His disciples to know this because they were going to face some difficult trials in in times to come. Their faith was going to be severely tested. And the question is, would they believe that everything Jesus told them was true? Could they trust His Word? You know, this is the question we are faced with as well, because there are times when our faith is tested. 
And during those times of testing, we are faced with a choice. Are we going to trust our feelings or are we going to trust God's Word? Are we going to do what He said or are we going to give in to doubt? Are we going to give in to fear? Will we believe what Jesus said in His Word? Let me give you some examples. When you've sinned. Are you going to believe Jesus' promise of forgiveness to those who confess their sin? Or will you just carry that that burden of, of guilt? When things happen in your life that you don't understand, are you still going to believe that Jesus is in control and that He does cause all things to work together for good? When you pray about something and you don't get the answer that you want, are you still going to believe that God loves you? God knows what is best for you. When you share God's Word and and you don't see immediate, visible results, are you still going to trust that God honors His Word? When we are convinced that Jesus' Word can be trusted, it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? When we believe that we can stand on the promises of God's Word and we can trust those promises to be true, that makes a huge difference in the way that we live our lives. When Robert Moffat went as a missionary to Bukwanaland, he labored there for ten years without seeing any visible results. And the directors at home began to question the wisdom of even continuing that mission. One lady wrote a letter to Mrs. Moffat and asked her what, what gifts she could send to her. And Robert Moffat's wife said this, Send a communion set. It will be sure to be needed. Ten years, no visible results, and yet they said, Send a communion set because we believe That God will honor the proclamation of His Word. That lives will be changed. That souls will be saved. That a church will be established. That we will gather together as believers in Jesus to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Look at the circumstances and you say, why would you ever believe that? But you look at the promise of God's Word. You say, we stand on that. Jesus' Word can be trusted. And that's what he wanted his disciples to understand that day. He told them exactly what was going to happen. And it happened just as he said. His word can be trusted. Second lesson that we see here. Jesus is the prophet. Not only whose word can be trusted, but Jesus is the prophet whose identity can be verified. Jesus is the prophet whose identity can be verified. When Jesus told His disciples to go and get a donkey, He told them to say that the Lord needs them. The Lord needs it. We might ask the question, why did Jesus need the donkey? Was it because He was tired? Was it because He needed something to to ride upon? There's no indication in any of the Gospels that, that Jesus needed a rest. The reason he needed the donkey is to reveal who he is and what his mission is all about. He needed them to fulfill prophecy. And notice how Matthew makes that very clear. In verse 3 he says, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. 
And immediately he will send them. And then Matthew adds, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, if you read through the Gospel of Matthew carefully, you will notice that Matthew repeatedly uses phrases like this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Prior to this text, we see this another ten times. So this is the eleventh time that Matthew has said this. And there are at least three more, if I've counted right. So about fourteen times he says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. It's obvious why he does this. Matthew wants us to know who Jesus is. He wants us to understand that He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. He wants us to see that His identity can be verified. That He indeed is who He claims to be. So there's two prophecies that He gives in this passage. The first one comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's the one quoted in verse 5, which describes Jesus coming gentle and mounted on a donkey. Now, that's a very interesting prophecy because you don't usually associate a king coming on a donkey. A king would come riding a chariot. A king would come riding on a, a beautiful white horse. But a king... Coming on a donkey, that would have been unheard of in Zechariah's day. It would have been unheard of in Jesus' day. One author says that it would be like the President of the United States coming to town on a tricycle. (laughs) If you can picture that. That would have been just totally unheard of. Maybe you can picture Trump on a tricycle. I don't know. A king would come in a chariot. Come on a beautiful white horse. And yet it says about Jesus that He would come gentle, humble, a king of a a very different kind. John MacArthur says, because He was a king like no other, His coronation was like no other coronation. By the standards and purposes of earthly kings, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was anything but triumphant. But by the standards and purposes of God, it was exactly as it was meant to be. He goes on to say, Jesus' entry on a donkey was not a put down by His rejectors. It was the sovereign choice of God the Father and of God the Son who Himself willingly came to earth as the servant Savior, to take upon Himself the sin of the world. Then He says, nothing could have been more appropriate than that the bearer of the world's sin burden would enter God's holy city of Zion riding on a lowly beast of burden. So this prophecy of a king riding on a donkey tells us who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the one who humbly laid down His life for us. His identity can be verified. You go back to the prophecies of Scripture and Jesus fulfilled them all. He indeed is the Messiah. The second prophecy 
Matthew quotes in verse 9. And this is a prophecy that the people really fulfilled without fully understanding it. Verse 9 says, The crowds going ahead of Him and those who followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That phrase, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, comes from Psalm 118. And that was a messianic psalm. They also identified Jesus as the Son of David, a messianic term. They even cried out, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save. Lord, save. So everything they said about Jesus was true. He was the one who came in the name of the Lord. He was the Son of David. He was the one who had come to save. But the sad thing about it is that they didn't really understand the kind of Messiah that Jesus was, nor the kind of salvation that they needed. One author says, although the shouts of the multitude were entirely appropriate and were in fact fulfillment of prophecy, the people had no idea of the true significance of what they were doing, much less of what Jesus would soon do on the cross in their behalf. They neither understood the Lord nor themselves. Even though they were shouting, Hosanna to the King, the Son of David, Most of these people didn't get it. They didn't understand who Jesus was and they didn't understand their own need that day. Why? Because they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They were looking for someone who would come and overthrow the Romans, get rid of the bondage they were under, some kind of political freedom. They wanted a a king who would come and, and conquer the Romans. MacArthur goes on to say the people wanted Jesus on their own terms. And they would not bow to a king who was not of their liking, even though he was the Son of God. They wanted Jesus to destroy Rome, but not their cherished sins or their hypocritical, superficial religion. So they wanted a Messiah of their own liking. They didn't want a Savior from sin. They wanted to be delivered from Rome. And so even though they shouted these words that were true, they didn't get it. They didn't really understand who this Jesus is. Do you think there's many people that are like this crowd today? Like the multitude on Palm Sunday, they will loudly acclaim Jesus as long as they believe that He will satisfy their own desires. But like the same multitude a few days later, they will reject and denounce Him when He does not deliver as they expected. When His Word confronts them with their sin and their need of a Savior, they want nothing to do with that Jesus, do they? They don't want their life to change. They don't want to deal with their sin. And so they reject Christ because He doesn't fit the kind of Savior, the kind of Messiah that they want. Verse 10 says, When Jesus entered the city, the city was was stirred. When He entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? 
And that word translated stirred could really be translated a little bit stronger because we get our English word seismic from that word. It means to shake as the earth shakes. That word is used to describe the earthquake when Jesus died on the cross. It's used to describe the guards at the tomb when they were shaking and became like dead men. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, we could say there was a, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. huh? Like, uh, who was that? Elvis Presley sang that song? A whole lot of shaking going on? They were stirred. And you ask the question, why, why were they stirred? Was it apprehension? Was it... What is Rome going to do if they see this man coming in who is the king of the Jews? Are they really going to clamp down on us? Is there going to be all kinds of bloodshed? Was it, was it that, maybe? Was it enthusiasm? Was it finally now the Messiah has come? Finally the one who will overthrow Rome? Finally our Savior is here? Was, was that the response? Would to God it had been a spiritual stirring. Would to God it had led to genuine repentance and salvation. Would to God it would have changed that city had they embraced Jesus for who He is. But we know when Jesus came into that city, what did He do? He wept. He saw that city because He said, the days are going to come when not one stone will be left upon another. Why? Because they did not recognize their day of visitation. That God was visiting them in the person of His Son. He was offering them salvation from sin. But what did they do? They crucified their Messiah. And it wasn't long after that that the Romans came in, 70 A.D., wiped out the city. Because they did not recognize their day of visitation. They did not understand who Jesus really was and why He came. Would to God that there had been a spiritual stirring that day. Because that's the kind of stirring they needed. And that's the kind of stirring that we need as well. And so I want to ask you this morning, has your heart been stirred by Jesus? Have you embraced Him for who He is? You can trust His Word. You can believe that He laid down His life for your sins. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life will never be the same. You will have the assurance of eternal life. You will be a new creature. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Can you say, He's my Lord? He's my Savior? He died on the cross for my sins. I have a relationship with Him because I've received Him. I've repented of my sins. I've put my trust in Him. Who is this Jesus? Or as Jesus asked His disciples, Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? May it be, Lord, You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You died for my sins. And I put my trust in You. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You came into, Palm, into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And You revealed very clearly who You were. 
You came not to overcome the Roman government, but you came to overcome the evil one. You came to die on a cross for our sins, that we might experience the joy of knowing that we have eternal life. O God, I pray that our response to your coming would not be like the crowds that day, who had no idea what they were saying when they were shouting, Lord, save. O God, may we be stirred in our soul today and brought to repentance and trust in you for our salvation. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.